Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Strange Familiars. This is episode 150, and in the first time I'm allowed to say, Welcome to Strange Familiars. <laughs> You're gonna make us redo this. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> so you can say, Welcome I'm, to Strange Familiars. No, I'm trying to. I'm trying to be able to state my reasoning for you having not done this before. Oh, it's going to sound really poor. It's no, I don't really have it. Just, I just figure I turn on the recorder and I sit down and say, Welcome to Strange Familiars, and that starts it out. But That's how I know we're recording, because <laughs> we don't have like a fancy light. or. You do remember the orange-eating episode not too long ago where we started the show? And you yeah, I was still <laughs> eating an orange, yeah. So unless I say, welcome to Strange Familiars, I don't know that... The candy wrappers will cease, or I'll stop fidgeting. Episode 150. That's pretty cool. Super excited about that. Glad we hung in this long. We just reached 50 patron episodes. Mm -hmm. We didn't number the early patron episodes. So I don't really know how many episodes we've done in total. but More than 150. More than 150. Mm -hmm. The first, I don't know, 20 or 30 patron episodes we didn't number, I think. I remember thinking like when we were on like the third or fourth episode, how are we going to come up with more topics? And then 
200 more topics pass by. <laughs> and there's no way, I mean, there's, we have folders and folders of stuff that we want to do. It was scary in the beginning. Because I was like, what, what do I want to do next? I'm not sure. And I was so worried about meeting that every other week deadline. Now we're doing it weekly. Yeah. So. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for getting us to 150 episodes. And we're going to continue making Strange Familiars. Love doing the show. Tonight, we're going on site again. Chad and I visited an area called Avondale outside of Westminster, Maryland, which has several legends associated with it. Like every on-site show, there's up and downs in the audio. It's inconsistent. It's the nature of doing on-site shows. So be patient with that. I don't think it's as bad this time as it has been previously. I think you can hear everyone, despite the wind. It was so windy, so cold. But I think you can hear both Chad and I pretty well. So let's go ahead and cut to the story of Lee Master. So here we are. We are parked on land that had to have been Lee Master's right now. We're looking at the remains of an iron furnace. And we're here outside of Westminster, Maryland, tracking down this ghost story of this fellow named Lee Masters, who was a very wealthy man and apparently a very cruel man. Well, isn't that common for most uh, furnace operators? It seems to be the case. These furnace masters, there's story after story about them being cruel this guy was... I think this guy really takes the cake. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you found this ghost story in a book. Yes. And we decided we had to... Once we heard Iron Furnace, we was like, well, we got to... We got to pursue this one. Yeah. I actually just... I found the book in an antique shop. What It wasn't really an old book. And I just kind of picked it up on a whim and found this cool story. And then it, it was close to us. And I'm like, hey, we need to check this out. And the more we dug deeper more we're like yeah this is pretty cool you know yeah yeah so he's known as Lee Master Lee Masters uh, sometimes Lee Master sometimes they put the S on his name sometimes yes a tobacco farmer an iron smelter and a sailor so he wore a lot of hats yeah they said the most famous villain of Carroll County history so we're Carroll County Maryland we should note before we get started, sometimes the articles were referred to this as Frederick County. At the time it was, I think, right? Right. Yeah, and then right. It, it was separated into Carroll County later. And Frederick's west of here now. Yes. Frederick County is west of here now. Yeah. So his big crime, or his major cruelty, other than just being a, a jerk, it sounds like he, his, none of his neighbors liked him. Just people in general didn't, didn't no, like him. No, no, no. He, From what I've read, from what the research I've done... When he established the Iron Furnace, he tried to use the uh, local people mm -hmm. at first, and then um, they wouldn't work for him, or you know they didn't, you know they didn't like him. And then he started. I guess you found that he brought in indentured servants, mm -hmm. which you know, if you don't know what indentured servants was, that was basically in the 1700s. If you wanted to come over to the New World. A guy would pay for your uh, passage, your yeah. passage over over to here, and then you were indentured to work for them 
for a while. Until you paid off your debt. Mm-hmm. Which, depending on who it was for, could be a very, very, very... It was almost like... It was pretty much like enslavement, in a way. Yeah, it really was. And then he replaced those with actual slaves. So... So his... His crime... Well, one of his crimes... (laughs) One. Supposedly he pushed at least one or more slave into the furnace. For various reasons. Now, there's... Some people say it was a... He was in love with a slave's wife perhaps mm-hmm. and, and tossed his competitor or, or, or however you want to look at it her into hu- the was, in, in some legends it's her husband because mm-hmm. he wanted this woman in other legends the the guy just didn't like him like he was very rebellious against him um, everything I read the guy's name is Sam and he just one day pushed him into the furnace mm. and then other, and like I said in one legend it, it was his wife Another legend was he actually attacked Sam's wife, and Sam got mad and tried to hit him with a shovel, which you know that's not good. Right. <laughs> and in a fit of rage, he threw him into the into the furnace. That's brutal. So he it, it has echoes of the Colbrook furnace tale, which I did for a Christmas episode, I think. Yeah, you read the poem. Yeah. In, and in that, the Iron Master ran his his dogs into the furnace. But uh, they both kind of uh, appear in the same way. Well, Lee Masters apparently takes several appearances. But one of them is like the Colebrook Furnace story in that he's supposed to wander the hills on this horse that's breathing out smoke and fire. Yeah. So so how, how this, the, the three, from what I've found in research, there's three manifestations that he supposedly has when he roams these hills. And so we're we're like in land that's just like kind of low, gentle. Yeah, it's rolling hills. Rolling hills. Yeah. A lot of houses here now, obviously. It's very populated. Yes. And um, the first manifestation is he would ride, and and the horse is always gray. I don't know if that means anything, but the horse is always gray, breathing brimstone and fire, and he's riding frantically across the hills with this horse, and he's wailing and hollering and begging for for forgiveness which I don't think is in the character of the man unless <laughs> unless he's you know suffering now yeah, it's a tortured soul yeah. tortured soul you know hollering and wailing and crying and then the other manifestation is similar to that where he's riding the gray horse again but the horse is much more subdued there's still fire and brimstone he's not wailing or hollering but he's being led and followed by imps with lanterns. That's very, very interesting. So that that's the other manifestation. So it's more it's more like he's more bound. Mm-hmm. And then the other manifestation, which is the one that led us to this this uh, little quest, was of a black dog. He appears as a large black dog, like three foot high or bigger, with flaming eyes and a chain around its neck that always has the chain the locals named this snarly yowl they have a local name for the the dog they do they snarly yowl so now is that a cryptid or is that that's just what they call this this ghostly black dog wow snarly yowl so i wonder if they're related or if or if they're separate i don't know related in what sense like does this black dog appear in other areas or just here 
I don't know. It's just this specific black oh, dog okay. associated okay. With, with Lee Masters. They, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Snarly Yow. So noting how rich this guy was, I found this article, and this is from... Let me see here. This is from the Democratic Advocate from Westminster, Maryland, the 20th of June, 1891. So this would have been right after he died. This is 1891, so this is 100 years. Oh, okay. Okay. Right? What time? He died in... 17... Well, it depends. Sometimes we hear... We read 1793. Anywhere from 1793 to 1796. Uh, Okay, yeah. Gravestone does say 1796. Yeah, so this article is, you know, almost 100 years after he died. Mr. Levi N. Snader of Frizzleburg has in his possession an old sale bill printed in Frederick in 1795 for the late sheriff of that county, advertising the real estate and part personal property of Lee Masters near this city. It is an excellent state of preservation. Following is a copy of the sale bill. Public sale, and then it just lists basically the officials and so forth and who uh, who they are selling the property for. Uh, But it's... uh, very valuable, real, and personal property lately held and owned by Lee Masters Esquire, situate near Westminster Town in Frederick County, will be sold as shall be sufficient to satisfy the plaintiff's claim in the said suit mentioned. So this is the real property. This is what he owned, the acreage. Which is impressive. The real property consisting of the following tracts of land, to wit, Arnold's Chase, containing 506 acres, Wilson's Delight, 49 acres. Indian War, 100 acres. Part of Cobb's Choice, 50 acres. Jack's Purchase, 50 acres. Beauty Spot, 50 acres. Part of Edward's Fancy, 21 acres. Narrow Bottom, 50 acres. Part of Bottom and Top, 50 acres. Part of Content, 30 acres. Red Bud, 21 acres. Long Value, 101 acres. Part of Bond's Meadow Enlarged, 110 acres. Part of Wilson's Chance and Mistake, 18 and 3 quarter acres part of Gabriel's choice 80 acres part of York Company's defense 1,000 acres Wilson's chance and mistake I hate to think what the mistake was <laughs> yeah. the, the names are really cool <laughs> I, yeah I know. I know I'm sorry to be to interrupt you I was just like wow <laughs> Firelock 14 acres part of Brown's plague and mine bank 11 and 3 quarter acres neglect 65 and 3 quarter acres I wouldn't acres. want to own neglect <laughs> Cold Evening Stone Quarry, 25 acres. The Encrease, 5 and 3 quarter acres. Hug Me Long, 10 and 3 quarter acres. <laughs> Discovery, 50 acres. The Parcel, 5 and 1 half acres. Strawberry Mead, 12 and 3 quarter acres. The Oblique Angled Triangle, 4 and 1 half acres. Lee Castle, 2,085 acres. Wow. The Reservey on Lookabout. 1,443 and three-quarter acres. Stony Hollow, 31 acres. The whole of the above lands lay contiguous to each other and comprised chief or whole the lands and works commonly known by the name of Lee Masters Ironworks. Wow. There are on the premises a grist mill, sawmill, and sundry other valuable improvements. Also the following personal property consisting of, and I'm sorry this is not nice, but this is history, 30 Negroes, men, women, and children, and 45 head of black cattle. Wow. Unfortunate history, but he owned 
30 slaves. Um, so we do have the proof that he at least owned slaves. Yeah. We don't know for sure that he threw one in, in the furnace, but we know for sure he owned them. Uh, and a lot of land. That is a lot of That land. is a lot of land. I mean, this guy was rich. Yeah. And he was... I mean, that has to be... So we're situated between Westminster and New Windsor. He must have just owned all the land between Westminster and New Windsor. That's a lot of land. Yeah. So. so. And he had indentured servants as well. Yeah. So this comes out... This is um, an article that he put in a in the paper. Apparently two indentured uh, servants had run away from him. And uh, this comes from the Maryland Gazette, Annapolis, Maryland, September 12th, 1771. And it says, 12 pounds reward, September 1st, 1771. Ran away last night from the subscriber, which would be Lee Masters, living at Lee Furnace, Little Pipe Creek, Frederick County, the two following Irish servant men. And um, it's good to note that the Irish were very much looked down upon back then. Oh, yeah. They were considered, you know, subhumans themselves, even though they, yeah. they were, you know, a good white uh, folk. Have you ever seen Gangs of New York? I think I have. It's, it's you kind of gives you a window into how the Irish were looked upon. Yeah, they were, they were mm-hmm. definitely looked down upon. So, so the first gentleman was... Andrew Redman, a well-made man, so he must have been pretty well strong, about 5 feet 10 or 11 inches high, about 30 years of age, wears his own hair, and is of a dark complexion, by trade a turner and spinning wheel maker. He had on what he went away, and that's meaning what he took with him, a light gray surtout coat, a green waistcoat, leather breeches, thread stock stockings, and check shirt. He took with him some white shirts and a rifled barrel gun. Hold on a second. He was wearing a check shirt. Maybe he was the original flannel man. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> also, where's his own hair? Do you think that's a reference meaning he didn't wear a powdered wig? I think you're then. right. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's, that's really cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty cool. You know, and then you know you say they always say that people were smaller than what they were compared to now. Five eleven, he'd have been a big guy yeah. back then. Well, he's my size. Yeah, yeah, been... yeah. I, I think it's like pretty brave of him to take a uh, the gun. Yeah. So, and they did have rifle guns back then. Yeah, that was surprising me because I, I I saw that rifle barrel and I thought, wow, that's early for rifle barrel. But you told me no, they actually yeah. in the revolution. Yeah, when you think of the Kentucky long rifle, it's what they called them back then. But actually, they were made in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania long rifles oh, first. Oh wow! So that's a little piece of history, and they used them in the Revolutionary War. Now they didn't have as fast of a fire rate as a musket, musket, but. They were very accurate. Yeah, once you get the rifle barrels, then you get and accuracy. And they, when they were used, I mean, they, they used them effectively, and they just tore the British to shreds because mm-hmm. they were so accurate. So, anyways, the second gentleman, John O'Brien, a tight, slim-made fellow, about 5 feet 8 inches high, about 26 years of age, of a f- fair complexion, wears his hair tied, so he didn't wear a wig neither. That's that's kind of a cool you caught mm-hmm. on that. By trade a weaver, he had on when he went away, a light brown coat, 
red waistcoat, leather breeches, and a pair of new shoes nailed in heels and sole, and some shirts. Whoever apprehends both or either of the said servants and brings them to the subscriber at Little Pipe Creek shall receive six pounds reward for each, paid by me, Lee Master. Yeah, so... That was pretty cool. Yeah, very, very interesting. I mean, absolutely a real guy, if anyone had any questions. So this but. is when he ran for assembly. Yeah. Do you want to read that one too? Yeah, go ahead and read that one next. Okay. Yeah, so this is, I guess he ran for office in Maryland. Yes, he was, I guess, running for assembly, and this was dated in uh, 1786, and this is after the Revolutionary War. And um, we're going to note that he was considered by the residents a Tory, which is basically he was a sympathizer Mm -hmm. for the British. And then you had mentioned about the Cadoris Furnace. What Mm -hmm. was that little bit of history you had said? Cador's Furnace was making both cannons and cannonball for the Revolutionary War, for the the, the colonists. Patriots, yes. Yeah. The British had sent two spies to destroy Cador's Furnace because they knew they were making right. ordnance there. These guys never turned up. They don't know what happened to them. They disappeared. So most likely they got killed, discovered or killed along the way, or even you know, a lot of British troops just... They abandoned troops and just yeah. went, went to live in America. I mean, yeah. you know, it's like just went off and, and uh, stayed here. So who knows what really happened? But I like to think what happened. The towpath along the Cadoris, which is what became Toad Road, would have existed then because they would have been hauling stuff out of York up, right. up to the furnace. I like to think they got on Toad Road and they looked behind them <laughs> and they never came back. So whatever, whatever gets people when they look behind. You know? and, and you know, not much has changed, you know, yeah. because even if you're down in there now and the locals find you, it, it, it could end badly it, also. It could. <laughs> so that not much has changed. So, anyways, Lee Master was running for assembly of uh, Maryland. And like I said, he wasn't well liked by the locals. He was considered a Tory. I've read also in the research he might have actually helped the British like by giving them material and mm. all that, which would be really looked look down upon. Yeah. So, so this comes from Catogden Clarion, Mechanics Town, Maryland, May 11th, 1899. And uh, so this was after, you know, almost 100 years after he died. So basically somebody had found a uh, paper saying about him. So it says, An interesting relic. Mr. George R. Gare, president of the school board of this county, has in his possession a somewhat ancient document, which may fairly be considered an interesting relic. It is the announcement of a candidate for the General Assembly, whose name has been handed down to the present day, and who is still considered as having possessed numerous eccentricities, which <laughs> I will explain that and where that came from. The announcement is clearly printed on fairly good paper, and reads as follows, the imprint being also added. To the worthy electors of Frederick County, gentlemen, I beg leave to offer myself as a candidate to serve you in the ensuing assembly, and should I be fortunate enough to be honored with your choice, my utmost endeavors shall be exerted for the public good, but particularly for the interest and welfare of this county. I hope for your votes and interest 
and if I am so fortunate to be elected, I will bestow the allowance given to the members of the assembly for their attendance on public business in such a manner as the electors shall think most proper. I have the honor to subscribe myself. Gentlemen, your most obedient, humble servant, Lee Master, Lee Furness, Pipe Creek, September 22nd, 1786. So he was actually kind of old by then. Yeah. Yeah. So, needless to say, he did not win. He didn't. He did not win. Hmm. So, the eccentricities. He was known for, and I've read this in several sources, he was known for traveling around the woods. Now, this is not when he was dead and he was a ghost. Traveling around the woods and dressing in like either robes or sheets and jumping out and scaring people. Weird. So, <laughs> yeah, odd that he he would dress as a ghost and later, you know, become a ghost. Yeah, you know? yeah. So he would be like, like people would be walking along the road or walking through the woods, and he'd be like bugaboo or something <laughs> like that. That's I, I actually read. That's one thing he would say would be like bugaboo wow. or something like that. So, so he was kind of eccentric. <laughs> so this is from the Cecil Wig, the seventh of February, eighteen eighty. A scrap of history. One evening recently, we stepped into the law office of our friend William S. Evans, Esquire, who is somewhat of a connoisseur in the matter of old law books, and takes great delight in making additions of ancient legal lore to his fine law library wherever opportunity offers. We were no sooner seated than our attention was attracted, probably for the fiftieth time, to two ancient volumes on one of the shelves of his library, and taking one of them up and opening it, we found pasted on the back thereof a coat of arms, consisting of the usual shield emblazoned with a great profusion of crows, horses' heads, and other strange devices beyond the power of anyone, except an expert in heraldry, to unravel or interpret. And the motto, it's something in Latin that's very blurry, I can't read it in this old article, but some Latin uh, phrase, a liberal translation of which implies that it is not less meritorious to try than to succeed. Following this was the owner's name, Lee Master, Esquire of Newhall in the county of Lancaster, England. So that's where he lived in England. Yes. And then he must have brought these books over with him. The old volumes, for there were two of them, were printed and published in London in 1743 by John Basket, printer to the King's Most Excellent Majesty, and purported to be the acts of the British Parliament passed in the 17th year of the reign of George III and were in the genuine old black letter type, which is so crooked and queer that we ran the risk of breaking our jaw in trying to read it. But upon these old books, which our friend purchased at a second-hand bookstore in Baltimore, there hangs a tale which may be interesting to our readers. Many years ago, our friend Thomas E. Van Bibbler of Carroll County, Maryland, inherited a fine farm of several hundred acres, situated a mile or two beyond the pretty little town of Westminster, and close to the line of the Western Maryland Railroad near Avondale Station. Upon this farm was a large deposit of iron ore, and the marks of an old iron furnace, where somebody in the long ago had smelted ore, and underneath the shade of a weeping willow near the iron mine was a marble slab, supported on some rather rude masonry, containing the following epitaph. Lee Master, Esquire, late of Newhall in Lancashire, England, died 22nd day of March, 1796, aged 79 years. Underneath the shade of this tree, the then youthful proprietor of the farm played with his brothers and sisters in their childhood and grew up to manhood, imbued 
with much reverence and respect for the memory of the man with the singular name whose remains reposed under the old moss-covered slab, and whose history was unknown. In the fullness of time, Mr. Van Bibbler's ancestor were gathered to their fathers, and he came into possession of the farm and leased the iron mine to a company who proceeded to enlarge the excavation from which the ore was obtained, until finally the grave was about to be undermined when Mr. Van Bibber had the remains it contained taken up and reinterred in the graveyard of the Episcopal Church in Westminster, where we copied the inscription from the tombstone about a year ago. Still nobody knew anything of the history of Lee Master except a tradition that he was an Englishman and had been proprietor of the furnace, into which, if our memory serves us right, he was said to have cast one of his workmen, who had displeased him, with what effect tradition said not, but which can be easily imagined. So here we have an article in 1880 that says they remembered him casting one, yeah. of, his, one of his workmen into the furnace. And then that was Van Bibbler who bought... Van Bibbler named the mansion... Avondale. The Reverend J. L. Nicholson, then rector of the church in Westminster, now the St. Mark's Episcopal Church in Philadelphia, at this time became interested in the history of the early settler, and by corresponding with certain parties in England, exhumed this much of it, namely, that Lee Master was born in London in 1717, was educated at Oxford, was six years a member of the British Parliament, married an heiress in 1760, converted much of his large estate into money, and chartered three vessels to convey his furniture, pictures, carriage, etc. to America, established Lee Furnace, and made iron for the British Ordnance Department. At the breaking out of the Revolutionary War, his estate in Maryland was confiscated, but was subsequently restored to him, he having effected the release of some prisoners. When he came to Maryland, he is said to have been worth $250,000, which would have been a huge amount back oh, then. Absolutely. Yeah. Such was the story of the old man's life as unearthed by Mr. Nicholson and told by Mr. Van Biver. The law books containing the suggestive motto, which we commend to the attention of those interested, no doubt belonged to him, and after his death found their way to Baltimore, where our friend Evans purchased them. Yeah, it'd be interesting to find out if those law books are still... Around, around. anywhere. Yeah. 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 So that's really interesting. They said he was buried under a weeping willow tree. I don't know how long weeping willows last or if we could find anything like that around well, here. Well, you know what? I think there is a weeping willow tree over at Avondale hmm. from what I've looked at from pictures. So we're sitting basically, we're, we're going to go out and we're going to walk around, but we're sitting in the middle of his land. Right. The furnace is right there. Mm -hmm. Avondale is right over there across the road. Okay. So we're, we're basically... Now he said, the that article said it was located near the iron mine. So now this does look like an iron mine here, like it's dug into the hillside here. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll we'll look around and we'll see what we can see. Yeah. Here's another article from the Maryland Gazette, seventeen sixty nine. And this is just a note. It's just a cargo of European and East India goods divided into allotments of different values from seven hundred something and upwards to thirteen hundred and upwards. The same will be sold at a moderate advance for ready cash, bills of exchange, or short credit, the purchaser in the latter way giving bond and good security if required, Lee Master. So that's him just advertising some of his trade for wow. the ship. Yeah. You know, I find it interesting in that other article that you read that he provided ordinance to the British. Yeah, because we were wondering about that. And then 
they seized his. They confiscated. The, and I think that was because he was still providing ordinance to the British. Well, yeah. When the war would broke out. Yeah. So <laughs> makes total sense. Confiscate that furnace and shut it down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is from the Democratic Advocate, Westminster, Maryland, 30th of November, 1889. Lee Master, Esquire, late of New Hall in Lancashire, England, died March 22nd, 1796, aged 79 years. It may not be generally known that Lee Master introduced oxeye or daisy weed into this country under the impression that it would make fine pasture. He owned and resided upon his estate at Avondale, this county, for a number of years. An iron furnace was operated on his farm prior to the revolution, and its remains are still visible, and they're still visible right now. He belonged to the gentry of England and was considered very wealthy. He was a member of the established Church of England. His prayer book, which contains his coat of arms, is in the possession of Honorable Charles B. Roberts of this city, who is a collateral descendant. Wow. And is there one more old article there, or is that it for that? That's that's it. That's okay. it for that one. All right. So the rest of the articles we have are newer and concentrate more on the ghost story of him. Um, I like this quote. This is this is just a quote from the paper in the '90s, and it was someone who was sort of uh, he was a it was a ghost tour, and someone was sort of uh, playing the character of Lee Master. Gotcha. But I, I like this quote: "The earth would not hold me; my bones washed out." So there are several stories about. His bones would not stay buried. Correct. Three times they came up, and three mm-hmm. times they reburied him, supposedly. And when they... So he was buried originally at his mansion, at his estate. He wouldn't stay buried. They moved him to the church, which we're going to later. And when he was at the church, his tomb cracked. Right. So he still wouldn't yeah. stay buried, you know? Which, all the pictures I've seen, you know, it's basically the top of the tomb is, like, cracked in. So. Here's another, just a note. So the coffin of Carol's most famous and cruelest ghost was transferred to the churchyard when it wouldn't stay in the ground at Master's Home at Avondale. This is from the Baltimore Sun, May 5th, 1996. At 23 North Court Street, the Ascension Church houses the remains of Lee Master's as well known for his cruelty as for his riches. Before, and perhaps after, he died at the age of 80, 79 actually, Master was despised by his neighbors and feared by his slaves. When he died, he was buried six feet under, but even the ground didn't want him. His bones rose to the surface three times. When his remains were moved to Ascension Church and placed under a large stone slab, the slab split in two. Legend has it that on dark, windy nights, his ghost continues to plague local residents as it rides the hills between New Windsor and Westminster. Which you said basically he owned. (laughs) So as far as he's concerned, this is still his. (laughs) And this is from the capital, Annapolis, Maryland, 31st of October, 1998. It's talking about a book of folklore from Carroll County. It says, The book stars a few notorious regional characters, such as Lee Master, a plantation owner said to have killed a slave in a blast furnace. Master died in 1796, but locals swear that his tormented soul still haunts Westminster's Wakefield Valley, home to the Furnace Hills area. In a story about Master, a workman walking in the woods one October night sees the slave owner's ghost riding a gray horse, pleading for God's mercy on a damned soul. The workman returns home, his hair whitened by fright. Wow. So that, always a gray horse. Yeah. I'm going to read this, and this is um, out of, this is the book that 
started this on this, and this is uh, Strange and Supernatural Animals by Patricia Edwards Klein. And um, on the one chapter, it's called The Mystery of Ferment Till. So, although Emmitsburg, Maryland is only about two dozen miles from Warfieldsburg, tra- and this is from back in the 1880s, travel in 1887 was not as fast as easy as it is today. Therefore, the man from Emmitsburg was unfamiliar with Warfieldsburg. Where is, where is Warfieldsburg? I'm not sure. There? I've been to Emmitsburg, but I'm not sure where Warfieldsburg and is. And totally unprepared for what he encountered there. He had been riding along, chatting amiably with another traveler on horseback, when a large black dog emerged from a fence bordering the right-handed side of the road, dragging a heavy chain attached to its collar. The dog crossed directly in front of the two horses, barely missing the dangerous hoofs. Without even glancing at them or increasing its speed, the animal proceeded into the bushes on the other side of the road, the length of chain clanking behind it. That was one of the largest dogs I've ever seen, the Emmitsburg man exclaimed. His riding companion merely nodded. From the looks of that chain he was dragging, the dog must have run away from its owner. The other man shook his head negatively. Since you lived around here, the Emmonsburg man persisted, maybe you could tell the dog's owner that we saw his animals. So this guy thought the dog was, 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 a lot, was real. And whoever owns the fence shall be told there's a hole in it. For unless I'm mistaken, the big black dog came through the fence rather than over it. Mm. You're not mistaken, the other man finally answered. The dog did come through the fence, but there's no hole in it. No hole? Then how? There's no sense in reporting any of what we saw. The black dog's been doing that for nearly a century now. A century, the Emmonsburg man gasped. Then he began to smile, thinking the other rider might be playing a joke on him. But the man from Warfieldsburg did not smile. Yes, it's been going on for almost a century, ever since Lee Master died back in 1796. So basically, this dog was seen Wow! not long after he passed, mm-hmm. or right after. Folks say the black dog is the spirit of Lee Masters, doomed to roam this area because of all the evil things he did when he was alive. Tell me more, the Emmonsburg man prompted. So as they rode along the dark, shadowed road, near what once would have been Lee Masters' extensive estate, and it was extensive, Oh yeah. the traveler from Warfieldsburg related what he knew of the mysterious owner of Furnace Hills. So, here we are, we're out here, you hear some vehicles driving by, this is what pretty well built up area, we're not like deep in the woods this time, <laughs> and uh, we're walking over here to look at the furnace. Still there. Yeah. They, they built these things to, to last. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean. And this one is what, about the same age as Cadoris furnace. Yep. It's definitely a cold, windy day. <laughs> oh, yeah. Last day. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's ruins. But it's still cool, though. That's somebody's property up there, right? We can't get yeah. up, up top. Yeah, unfortunately, we can't. Mm. But there, right there is where the, um, obviously, where the, you can see where they would have tapped it. Yep. To let the, the iron run out. Sign. What's that? Can you read that? <laughs> I think it says trespassing. Oh, no trespassing. No trespassing thing. Yeah. They collapsed in. I think we can walk around. Is that, did that look like a... Um, 
I don't know. Look, the trail looked like it might have went up around there. Look at that. That structure that's fallen in there. Oh, okay. That's the top. I'm assuming that's where they would have put the ore. Put, put the ore, yeah. Yeah, and all that in from the top. Now, is this, this look, does look bigger than Kodora's furnace. Well, Kodora's furnace is definitely taller. Yes. Uh, but yeah, they might have... They built these things different ways, you know? It's so hard to tell where it collapsed in here. That looks... There's an iron, yeah, iron gate grate yeah. back in there. Yeah. That's wild. Can you get some pictures? Oh, yeah. I was yeah. definitely going to take some pictures. But it looks like they would come in from the top, like the other ones. Yeah. The ore, the lime, and the charcoal. And then this is where they would tap it out in the bottom here. And there is some water here. You have a creek, little pipe creek flows through here. Yep. Definitely a cool piece of history. I mean, it's, this thing's from, what, the 1700s, and it's still... It's still it here. just now collapsed a little bit. Yeah. Man, I want to know what's in back in there, <laughs> behind <laughs> that grate. Be yeah. Oof, man. Tell you what. That wind makes it brutal, don't I'm colder today than I was on our solstice hike. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, I think some of it is there ain't really no protection here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, we found... On the other side of the road, what looks like what to be the remains of a quarry. Yeah, we'll poke back in there in a minute. Let's see if we can walk up behind you. We can get close. So we're going around to the top here. This is like what a little park now, I guess. Right, we get pretty close there. Yeah. There's the Cardinals. That's better, ain't it? <laughs> There's no wind. Yeah. Now we're on the top. I'm just amazed. Amazed at the consistency of iron furnaces and supernatural activity. It's something I started pointing out as a curiosity. Yeah. And now it's just like Iron Furnace Supernatural. It, Iron Furnace Supernatural. It's like it, Yeah, I mean I mean so far now we're looking at what? Michelle. Cador's furnace. Michelle's Michelle. full of iron furnaces. I mean Big Pond Furnace and all the furnaces there. Well now site seven. Because now, yeah, yeah, there's a furnace up the road from Site Seven, and I found what basically was an iron mine there too, within less than a half mile from there. Oh, here's your gate. Is that it there? Is it? Uh, it looks like they had it graded up at one time, and it fell in. 
Yeah, it looks like your cavity there. Wow. This is the corner. Yeah. Oh, you got pretty close. Yeah, I mean, we're on the top. Yeah. Right there is definitely the very top. Yep. So it looks like it had multiple. He was doing, he had two. Uh, yeah. Two stacks going at the same time. Wow. So this was one, and that yep. other one that the collapsed one. was one too. Yep. Where Cadora's furnace is one stack. Caledonia, Pine Grove, and Big Furnace, or Big Pond are all one stack also. This so this guy had an operation. Yeah. No doubt. Fascinating. Yeah. Wow. Impressive. Yeah, I think I'm going to stop saying it seems like where you have iron furnaces, you have supernatural activity, and just go ahead and say where you have iron furnaces, you have supernatural activity. Or the potential. <laughs> yeah, I mean... As yet, I can't think of an area that we found an iron furnace that doesn't have supernatural activity associated with it. Now, so the question is, is it because of the fact that they're very common in the areas that we've been checking out? Or is it just the fact that the act of doing it, you know, right, I, digging into the ground, you know, basically raping the earth? Right. I do think... Digging into the earth might have something to do with it. I mean, the other interesting thing is, you know, what did they tell you to use to, to protect yourself from fairies and witches? Iron. Iron. Yeah. And here we have places where they're not making iron anymore, but they used to make iron. You know, it'd be interesting if there's anybody in the local Westminster area and you have seen anything in this area please let us know that would be interesting if oh yeah i'd if, love, to, love to get some modern accounts of yes. people who, who've seen it yeah because i think most of the accounts we have now are what from the 1800s at least so we just crossed the road we're walking over here to this hillside And it just looks like this has just been cut. Yep. When yep. they find iron, they would just dig in. And, uh -huh. and they said that this was further excavated when that other, those other people took over. Oh, uh, so the furnace actually probably operated way after he died. Then. Well, I think they were mining. Oh, okay. And not still, because there's iron ore right here. Which well, you can see, see in the rocks. Yep. Yeah. Funny, we both say it. So basically, we're like in a bowl. Yeah. And this is a parkland, so nobody would have any reason to do it now. They just couldn't build houses here. <laughs> right. Oh, look. Yeah. You can see where they were running. Yeah, there's a yeah. hole right there in the top. Yeah, they see were running. That? That's where they ran a shaft or a exploratory hole or something. So that's a place you would like to go. He's announcing our presence. Yeah, I'm going to see if we'll sound off again. <laughs> Barely ever get good, clean, like, up-close audio like that of, of crows. This or... is nice because the wind's blocked here. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder... You know, this is a park. It's got benches. A play area for kids. 
I wonder how many people realize they're playing in an iron mine. I probably none. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's funny as they set up this playground with fake rocks. I know. The kids when they could have used real ones. There's tons of rocks right here. <laughs> yeah, look at all the exploratory holes. Yeah. See the chisel marks on that one right there. Oh yeah. Yeah, see that? Yeah. Yeah, they're playing in an iron mine. That's interesting. And what's wild is like it's not that deep, you know. It's just. Well, so, I mean, sometimes they ran tunnels, mm-hmm. and sometimes they would just go into the hillside. And that's like, what they did here. Yeah. That that's from that's Mammy too. Yep. Yeah, they drilled down in mm-hmm. that. That's chipped out up there. You can see. That's wild. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of uh, in York County, Southern York County. Is it Rob? Rob Park, yes. Yeah. Yep. Well, that was... That has huge holes and tunnels. Iron and hematite there. Yeah. They're mining, so... You know, one of the things keeping me warm while I was out with Chad was my Sloom beanie and my Sloom base layer, Raven base layer. That sounds like a wonderfully put segue. It happens to be true, though. Yeah, it does. (laughs) This would be one of those things where you you listen to the podcast, you're like, are they really getting Blue Apron? Or are they just saying they they make the Blue Apron meals? You know, when you hear the podcast, do the advertisement. No, we really like warm socks. And nice smelling incense. Sloom is great. So comfortable, so warm. We love Sloom. Sloom.com, S-L-O-O-M-B.com for wool base layers and much, much more. Check them out. And if you enter the code STRANGEFAMILIARS, all one word, you will get 10% off. Sloom.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.
Strange Familiars, as always, is brought to you by our patrons. Thank you so much, patrons, for being there. Thank you for getting us to 150 episodes. I thought you were also going to say brought to you by the letter S and the letter F. (laughs) (laughs) And the number 13. (laughs) If you like Strange Familiars and you'd like to help us make another 150 episodes... You can become a patron at Patreon. It's patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. For $3 a month, you can get extra episodes. We just dropped an extra episode, a continuation of last week's Virginia Bigfoot stuff, and then a very long Ask Me Anything show, which uh, I thought was very well written. The questions were very well written and very thoughtful. Mm Mm-hmm. Much more than the answers. <laughs> <laughs> I did my best. Not written and... <laughs> I did my best. Patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. There's all different levels of support there. It starts at $3 and goes up from there. You can get things like original artwork, t-shirt, copies of my books, and more. Patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. If you don't like the idea of a monthly subscription like Patreon and you still want to help, you can go to strangefamiliars.com and look at the show notes to any episode And we have a paypal.me link where you can make a one-time donation. Everyone can help by sharing the show on social media, by liking and subscribing wherever you're listening, whether it's Apple Podcasts. Here we go. (laughs) Google Podcasts, Stitcher. Your car or your living room. Podbean. Himalaya, whatever podcatcher you use, make sure to like and subscribe and give us those nice five-star reviews because that helps get Strange Familiars in front of new potential listeners. And now we will return to Chad and I on site around Avondale. I just realized, despite living so close to Maryland, I think this is our first Maryland episode. Is it? I think so. Oh, that's cool. We've got another one in the works, right? Yeah, actually a a few more. (laughs) And for those, when we finally get to the South Mountain stuff, that goes into Maryland too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the the state borders are arbitrary, really. Well, I don't think the supernatural or the other recognizes. <laughs> That's what I mean. <laughs> Man-made borders. <laughs> oh, it's the Pennsylvania line. We better stop here. Yeah. <laughs> That's the Snarly Owl's domain. Let's not go in there. Well, York County. I mean, think about it. York County is, like, really influenced heavily by by uh, Maryland. You know what I mean? Yeah. We know how to eat crabs. We do. Yeah. <laughs> so we want to head that way, you think? Sure, why not? I don't know. Go around the other side? Or... I don't know. This is it. So we're... Slightly north of 
the Avondale Mansion. What, not even a mile? Not even, yeah. What, three, not even three quarters of a mile. Yeah. And uh, we can't get to the mansion because it is privately owned. Right, that being Lee Master's house. Yes. Yes. And um, as much as we would love to get there, it's just not possible at this moment. So I, I don't even think it's even a business anymore. It used to be a bed and breakfast at one time. I don't think it is anymore. Just a private residence. Yep. Well, we can see how close we can get. Yep. And this is all his land anyway. Yeah. Well, I think we are close to the furnace. We're all about across, about across from the furnace, I think. Yeah. I don't think there's going to be any trails through here, so... This will be quite an exercise, I think. I think the creek flows down here. I would guess. At least we'll be safe from the wind in here. Yeah, that's kind of what I was hoping for. The wind just cuts right through you. Um, absolutely. Especially on top of this hill. Yeah. The appropriately named Windy Hill. Yes, it is. We're in like a pine forest, which has obviously been planted by people because it's, it's pretty straight. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, pretty even. Pipe Creek too. I guess it would be. Yeah. 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 This is more like. I bet it was more like this over by the furnace. At one time. When it was. Yeah. yeah before they started building over there. This is. It's much wider here. So we just what come over a hill, bushwhack down, no trail. <laughs> yeah. That was, I didn't have the recorder going. It was way too steep. I needed both hands. And uh, we found the railroad tracks, which runs kind of through the valley. Yeah. And, um, like I said before, is, I, is that pond that way? Yeah, that pond's that you way. Look for that pond, yeah. And then we can tell that story. I'm looking at the side of this hill we got to climb up, and I'm, I'm already regretting coming down it. Ah, this is just a molehill in my <laughs> world, an <laughs> anthill. I know, but it's steep. Oh, we got to go back. You know, up there. you know, you know, it's funny, and I got to say this you know, the guys I normally camp with, the rest of the Ruck Rabbit guys, they like literally say that. No trail from I call all trails level because <laughs> they're like Chad's not happy unless he's going up a hill or forcing us to go up a hill. But this terrain is much easier than what I normally do. <laughs> yeah, but it's the steepness, not so yeah. much the. Uh, I mean, certainly, even the trail at White Rocks is more uh, struggle with than, than than this hillside, but still steep one. All right, let's try to find yeah. that pond. Yeah, let's go. We found the pond. My question is, was the pond bigger at one point? Right. Did it extend almost to the creek? Or did the railroad tracks come on this side of the creek before? 
So what, what's the story you read? So the story I read, which is another one of these, you know, ghost stories or legends associated with this area, was that a train carrying passengers. I don't have dates. We're going to see if we can find dates of a train crash because you think that would be big news in the area. Yeah, usually train crashes made the paper. And uh, a train came through, went into the pond. Which is in front of Avondale, because we're, we're literally looking at Avondale. We're on the top of the hill looking down at the mansion right now. Went into the pond, and some people drowned in the pond. So, if the train tracks... Because I can see them over there. Yes. If they were in the same place, but likely they were. Here's my thought. Okay, first of all, that train would have to be flying. Absolutely. To, to make it across the creek... Mm-hmm. And and in into that pond. So if it's true, the the pond would have to be bigger. Or I'm wondering if they weren't using the pond as a marker. Maybe the creek was up from flooding or something. The train went into the creek. That was I was about ready to say that you beat me to it. And people died there, but the pond was the marker. Like like you know what I mean? Like they could see the pond because you could you could easily see the pond. Yeah, yeah. I th- I think you're right. I think the train went into the creek. I mean, it wouldn't take much water for people. No, to if, it, if it was if the creek was up, and the and they were stuck in there. Wasn't there another story you did with like a yeah where they dropped into a creek? Yep. Which wasn't probably very deep, but right. it, the water was high. Yeah. Pardon the road noise. We're even though we're probably what a half mile from the road, you can still hear it. Oh yeah. But right. it's just another legend associated with this right area, and you know, and if it's true. That's a lot of tragedy. Yeah, and if it's not true, how did it become a legend? You know what I mean? Like, how, who started it, and for what reason, and why? Well, it's very interesting to me. Because the, the landmarks are all here. You know what I mean? If it's not true, somebody did their homework, because the pond's there. Yep. The railroad tracks are there. Avondale's right there. I think it's like what you said, that um, the train probably fell into the creek. And then... Um, the pond was a marker, mm-hmm. and as you kick it down the road, right. traveling down the road with the story, yeah, whispering down the lane, yep. it it changed yeah. over time. You know, yeah. But you know, I wish I could get a picture of Avondale, but you know, I got a bunch of trees in front of me. Yeah, even though there's no leaves on the trees, we can just see that like the peak of the roof of of one of the buildings. Make it, make out the the white building that's there. Which and isn't the main house. Like no. Su- summer house yeah. or something. Probably where they cooked. Yeah. Servants' quarters were, which wasn't uncommon for a colonial house to have that. No. Like a secondary house. But um, we'll pull some pictures off the internet and put them on so people can see what the place looks like. It's supposed to be beautiful. Uh, it is I mean, beautiful. It's beautiful from the road. But yeah. The road's so busy we can't even stop and take pictures. Yeah. Right? And the front of the house doesn't face the road. Right. We've it faces this way. So, I wonder if the pond was, like, added later. I don't know. Or if that was originally part of the property. I mean, who knows? Yeah. Who knows? It is right there. Like I said, yeah. whoever, uh, if they made up the story, they came out and did their homework to make sure all the, well, the features were I'm right. seeing two. It looks like the creek splits here. Mm-hmm. So, there's multiple... Yeah, and we know the creek runs right beside the railroad tracks because we drove on another road and it was right beside railroad tracks. Oh yeah, and we just we were just in the creek bed and the mm-hmm. railroad tracks were right there. 
so. above it, like the other side of the creek. Yeah, very close. But I, I think you're right. I think it dropped into the creek if it did happen, and the pond was there, and Avondale was already known for some terrible things, and mm-hmm. it just kind of they came together. Yeah, very interesting. So, all right, now we have to make our way back through the the entire conservation area yeah <laughs> but it was worth it pretty hike though yeah rough but well worth it i mean if it was that we wouldn't have never been able to do this the hill wasn't as bad as i thought everybody i was okay yeah i got him up already <laughs> he survived so we're making our way back up the hill Post Avondale, or I guess post behind Avondale and finding the pond and hiking through the woods. And I, I was literally thinking as we were coming to the hill, we were talking, so I didn't bring it up. I thought, didn't, didn't find a skull today. And of course, I was thinking of like a deer skull, you know, or a, a raccoon skull or something, something natural. And we're walking through the woods and I look over and I see something white. I'm like, oh, that's, that's kind of skull colored, but it looked, didn't look right. I was like, is that a plastic skull? And sure enough. It is a plastic skull. Sure enough, we we found a plastic skull in the woods. <laughs> I mean. So yeah, I guess that's coming home with me. <laughs> I uh it's so funny too, because I think it was when they asked me anything show. Some, one of the questions was about was there anything specifically that started turning me away from thinking you know Bigfoot was a physical creature and something else and I said you know one of the things was when I started finding skulls on every Bigfoot investigation I went on like prominently there just without without a doubt skull 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 just almost like they were waiting for me and I was thinking wow I haven't found a skull on an investigation re- you know in the last few we've done I haven't found one no no it's been and, quiet and here here we find a plastic skull. So the other is uh, not without its sense of humor. Yes. I think. Yeah. Yes. It's very, very funny. And we're, you know, we're not, like, super far in the woods, but it's not like anybody, like... Yeah, it's not somebody's backyard. Yeah, it isn't yeah. anybody's backyard. And I don't think it could have blown here uh, very easily. No. Yeah. So, uh, found a skull. So we're hundreds of yards, maybe, from where we found the plastic skull. Walked out into a big wide trail that leads out. And Chad looks down and says, is that a skull? It was not, but it sure looked like one. From, from the, the way it was laying, it looked like the top of a deer skull. I think it's, I think we determined it's probably pelvis. Yeah, yeah. part of the pelvis, because yeah. that, that there definitely is a... Yeah, that's the bottom of the spinal that's, cord, right? That's a spinal cord. Yeah. And, and at first I thought those holes were, like, for the teeth. Right, yeah. Because no, you flip it over. Yeah, when you flip it over from that side, it looked very very much like part of a deer skull. Like, somebody, like, like somehow the skull got sheared off or something. But, no, it is bones, and it is a couple hundred yards away from where we found the plastic skull on the way out in, so, in the middle of the trail. So if we find the rest, if we find the skull, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> So we found the 
back of Avondale, Lee Master's house. We found the pond where the train accident may or may not have happened. Correct. At least the story of the train accident yes. happened. Now we have a few other, there's a few other stories relative to Lee Master. Yeah. That are and, a little and, more modern. And, and the house. Yep. So you dug these up on a Pennsylvania hauntings website or something. Yes. Even though it's not, we're not in Pennsylvania, we're in America. Well, we're <laughs> close enough, you know, <laughs> they kind of intermix. So I had mentioned before about the, uh, the skeleton that was discovered. Mm-hmm. So apparently during 1930, they were doing renovations of Avondale. And there was a downstairs furnace and a skeleton was discovered. Now, that we know that there probably was a skeleton discovered. I guess we're going to have to look for a, a newspaper report because you think that would have made the newspapers. It's possible. Yeah. I mean, it should have. Um, now, there's unverified reports that a baby's bones were found also. But that's that's not verified. So I'm almost thinking they found the other skeleton. And they said that was basically um, was a woman. Like the, the slave girl. Black servant girl. They think. They think. Yes. yes. So then um, eventually the mansion became a uh, bed and breakfast and there have been many reports of people who have stayed there like uh, apparently the the owner's daughter said she would see the lead master in the house hmm. and then uh, lights would go off I wonder how she knew it was him I don't know yeah. maybe they saw go- somebody and they assumed right yeah so it could have been anybody I I mean, I, I mean that's logical to assume that. Yeah, yeah. You know. Oh, I see. You know, maybe it was the way he was dressed. I don't know. I don't have any more details of that. Yeah, I mean, he's the guy who's supposed to haunt it. So yes. it, does, it makes a certain amount of sense. To... Um, lights would go off in the main house, and there would be no electricity. So I don't know if they were using, like, lanterns or what. Yeah, or if they mean, like, they would go off, and in other words, they would see uh, flashes. Yeah, there you go. Correct. That, that makes more sense. So there you go again. You have lanterns. You know, or lights, strange lights in the house where there is no electricity. That makes more sense. Uh, the tools that were hung on the barn would be m- removed and laying all over the grounds. <laughs> so, like, they were picked up and used or whatever. <laughs> and then um, we mentioned about the train that derailed and the car went into the went into the pond, which we discussed that. So it just seems like. You know, not only are they seeing Lee Master, but they're seeing maybe some other people there too. Right. Yeah, it's, it's possible. Yeah, they said they think it's haunted by more than just him and and his servants. Yes. So he was supposedly not only does he come in the three manifestations that I spoke of earlier with the horse riding the horse mm-hmm. and the imps and the black dog. He's supposed to just walk, roam the woods. You know, behind his house, which is where we just were. And if the, that report is believed, he's in the house as well. So, yeah. You know, it's just furnace. We start with an iron furnace. Ghost, black dog, lights in the woods. Weird lights in the woods. 
and in the house. Traditional story of a cruel Iron Master, mm. which he was cruel. So I'm going to look for reports on that train accident, and I'm going to look for, of course, wild man reports in the area. I'll have to dig up and see if I found any yet for for this area. I would not be surprised. I, I wouldn't be shocked either. You know, you, you have small little people too. Yes. Yeah, the, the imps, whatever the they imps. are. Yeah. You know, or they could, they could have just seen, seen lights and assumed they were imps. Right. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Because a lot of, like, Irish folklore and stuff, they would talk about, like, the will of the wisp lights, and they'll say, oh, it was someone carrying a lantern out there. Yeah. It's, it's fairy lights. You know, it's fairies carrying lanterns and stuff. So it's not that they ever saw an actual fairy carrying a lantern. It's just that's how they explain the weird lights that, that they couldn't explain. I, I just think it's really cool. I don't know which one I'd rather see. Like, him on the galloping horse, crying and wailing for mercy... Or him being led by, led and followed by little imps with little, lanterns. Little imps, yeah, I guess the the, <laughs> the uh, implication is imp implication. Yeah, uh, the implication. The implication is that he he is uh, being led to his destiny in hell, maybe. Yeah, by, by the little imps. Yeah, I mean that would be pretty scary. I mean the black dog is is pretty wild too. Yeah, is, yeah, I I don't. I don't know. A glowing eyed big black dog. That seems with a with a big iron chain around its neck. Yeah, seems pretty intense. So, but so, Westminster, Maryland. If you've seen anything strange, and I know I have a story of the Hook Road Werewolf. I think I've told on the show before. So there's a wild man report. It's not terribly close to here, but it's I think it's the other side of Westminster. Oh, so that wouldn't have been Lee Masters Land. No, no, and this and the Hook Road Werewolf was in the 1970s. They called gotcha. it they called it a werewolf, but it, that's only because the thought was that Bigfoot lived in California and Washington State back then. We didn't have yeah. Bigfoot on the East Coast, yeah. So it was something hairy and upright, and they they called it a werewolf. It was not a like what they call a dog man nowadays, but they just they just called it a werewolf. And that story went. It's probably been a while since I told it. That came from the 1970s. Somebody at a horror con came up and saw my Bigfoot books on my table and told me the story. He said a friend of his, well, there was an orchard there at the time. I think it's all housing now. You can see how built up Westminster is, even around here. I think it's a housing development now, but at the time it was an orchard. And they said at night, this thing that they called the werewolf would run through the orchards at night. (laughs) And he said... They ended up calling it the Hook Road Werewolf. Well, one of his friends was running through the woods one night and ran into this thing. Smack dab into it. Oh, nice. And it grabbed him, broke his arm, and threw him to the ground. Wow. So the story went. So there was that nearby. And uh, I'll see if I can find any historic wildman reports closer to to the time of uh, Lee Masters. They probably won't go that, that far back. There probably wasn't many newspapers here then. We'll see if I can find any from from earlier times. But the the Hook Road Werewolf one at least uh, is something. But if you live in, around Westminster and you have something strange and uh, you know you want to share it with us, you can email strangefamiliarspodcast at gmail dot com. And uh, I'd love to hear some black dog stories. If anybody's seen that black dog, I'd love to hear. I'd like story. to hear any of the stories. That's true too. I, yeah. I would like to know if like this thing is still manifesting. 
riding its horse over the over the hills out here. Yeah. That that would be amazing. And and if you guys have seen any anything strange, you know, because doesn't take real thick woods for anything to happen. No, you know. No, we're just hop, skip, and a jump away from uh, Westminster. We'll, we'll we'll come back anytime. Ooh. It's the last day of February. Yes, last day of February. Cold and windy, maybe appropriate for uh, where we are, what we're doing here. Yes. So we are at the Church of the Ascension, Westminster, Maryland, in this, behind the church, it's a parking area, and the graveyard behind it where Lee Masters ended up at least his remains did. So yeah, so after a little bit of a journey tracking down his life and uh, seeing where he had built his fortune and everything he owned in this area, we're uh, here at the at his second final resting place, <laughs> right? Right. Or well, I did find that one story that said he was uh he went down with his ship remember i told you that and then his bones washed up on shore then they were buried at avondale huh and and then they they came here but i don't think there's not much evidence of that i think that's just something some folklore but the interesting thing is uh the tombstone was said to be cracked because they they said you couldn't hold him but this is a very recent stone here it's it's very very recent so they, they must have replaced it yeah, because all the pictures I've seen, I mean, it's the first time I've been here. All the pictures I've seen, it. I mean, he was brought here to the church because he, what the legend said, he wouldn't stay. They couldn't hold him in the ground there at Avondale. Yes. And he kept coming out of the ground. Then when they brought him here to the church in the Ascension, the top of that cracked. cracked. Yeah, and they said his, he, either you know he or his spirit or something was, was trying to, kept trying to come out of the grave. Right. And, then, and they do say he haunts Westminster, his spirit, although it's the the scarier figure riding the, the spectral horse or the black dog. They they said that haunts the hills between Westminster and New Windsor. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, it's a relatively new capstone here. And, um, I mean, I don't know when they put this on, but I'm impressed. Yeah, it looks, looks very new, very new. So, very interesting final resting place oh, what I found interesting is like kind of off to the side yeah yeah from everybody else I don't know if that was intentional <laughs> yeah I don't know I don't know there's not a ton of graves in here so yeah you, you think uh, whenever he was moved yeah they put him here yeah, for some whatever. reason I don't know if they sat him off here because you know he wasn't a popular guy yes in the area but you know kind of a cool way to end the little journey we were on yeah and uh yeah here he is i'm gonna read the gravestone i guess oh yeah so it says lee master esquire late of new hall in lancashire england so he he did come from england and he made his fortune here and he died the 22nd day of march 1796 aged 79 years 79 years 
good run back then. Good run for back then. Yeah. Yeah. All yeah, right. So, Lee Masters. And it's right across from, that's the Westminster Cemetery across there. So this is a graveyard. This is attached nice. to the church where we are here. But it's right across from a huge cemetery. That's uh, the sort of the Westminster Town Cemetery. And what year did they move him? Uh, they moved him on uh, April 19th, 1877. And then they uh, built his new tomb, which also cracked. So he was moved almost a hundred years after he had passed. After he had passed, his bones were moved here. Presumably, this is an Episcopal church, so I guess since he was uh, from England, this would have been Church of England in England. So, right. So that's why he was moved here, presumably, to this graveyard where they said the stone cracked and did they try to repair it and it cracked again I think they tried to repair it a couple times and, and it cracked again and now there's a modern stone on top of his tomb so I guess we'll see how long that one lasts yeah it'd be interesting because that one looks substantial well it's probably what three inches thick three or four three or four yeah it looks substantial so if this one cracks it'd be very very interesting yeah yeah and we don't we don't know when they just put this new one on. No, it's you said you saw photos of the old one that was cracked. Yeah, so it's somewhat recently. Yeah, you know, past few years. At least, yeah, it did. It didn't look very weathered, did it? No, it no. looks it looks brand new. So, for some reason, somebody paid to have a new stone put there. Maybe they got tired of all the ghost hunting people coming around. We hear that, or you know, maybe maybe the ghost scared them. Forced him to do it because <laughs> you know I get it sounded like he was a guy I was used to getting his own way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And he was, I mean, for a guy who was like really cruel and hated when he was alive, you know, they must think enough of him to do that. Yeah, it's pretty cool though. It's pretty cool. Yeah, neat little graveyard. Yeah, pretty church. I mean, definitely, definitely. If you're in the area, stop and see it. I mean, just the area itself is beautiful. So we did some digging about Avondale. And this is not Avondale in Pennsylvania, the mushroom capital of the world. This is Avondale in Maryland. This is Avondale outside of Westminster. How's Maryland. the smell comparison? Like the comparison it does not smell like mushrooms. <laughs> One of the things uh, that was mentioned is this supposed train accident. A supposed train accident. Yes, Chad told the story of a train that was supposed to have derailed and gone into the pond mm-hmm. near Avondale, and people were killed. Supposedly, the interesting thing about train accidents is they're very well documented yeah it's hard to fake that one happened when it didn't now there were lots of train accidents near Avondale (laughs) it seems like when you look up train accidents in a particular area you find that this is a regular occurrence so you don't think this is too out of the realm of possibility of just this many train accidents just having having happened to happen there you don't think there's anything special about this number of train accidents well what's the number Let's count them out. Okay. All of these stories we're going to be reading are from the Democratic Advocate in Westminster, Maryland. So it's the local paper. 
This one dates from May 11th, 1906. These are in no order, so we're going to be skipping through time here. Okay. Back to a time when Democrats didn't mean the same thing it means today. It really didn't. <laughs> May 11th, 1906, five men injured in a head-on collision near Avondale. Two engines and several cars wrecked. About 2 o'clock Tuesday morning, two freight trains were in a head-on collision at Avondale Station, Western Maryland Railroad. Five of the trainmen were injured. W.G. Mackley of Thurmont, conductor of train number 103, left hand crushed and arm and shoulder severely bruised. William F. Brown, 1418 Holbrook Street, Baltimore, engineer, right knee and leg injured. John M. Erlin, Constitution and Monument Streets, Baltimore, Brakeman, Double dislocation of the leg, ankle, bruised along the leg. John T. Sipe of Hagerstown, fireman on train number 104, left foot so severely crushed that amputation will probably be necessary. Robert Castor of Hagerstown, fireman train number 103, legs badly bruised. None of the casualties, however, is of a fatal nature. Richard Ubler, conductor, and H. Gladhill, engineer of train number 104, were comparatively unhurt. The injured men were brought to Westminster and their wounds dressed by Dr. W.D. Wells, the company's physician, who subsequently took Sipe and Erlinger to Baltimore City Hospital. The trains had orders to pass at Avondale, the first station west of Westminster, but the orders had been changed to make Wakefield west of Avondale the passing point. The conductor and engineer of train number 103 were apprised of the change, but for some unaccountable reason the crew of train number 104 failed to receive the change order which should have been given to them at Union Bridge. Both were heavy trains and carried merchandise, number 104 having been made up of 23 cars, number 103 was showing up for the Avondale siding, but number 4 was running from 20 to 22 miles an hour when they met. Both engines were wrecked, and one of them, it is said, will have to be rebuilt. Several of the cars on each train were wrecked and derailed, and the merchandise they contained was piled and scattered along the tracks, the first car on train number 104 was completely demolished and the roof was thrown forward on the cab and engine and pinned down the engineer and fireman, but neither received severe injuries. Most of the train hands jumped when they saw the collision was inevitable. Train number 103 was carrying a large lot of fish, which was piled up along the track to a depth <laughs> of six or eight feet. Ooh. Must have smelled really good. Yeah. Sounds like a lot of confusion and delay here. Yes, indeed. Now, I don't think this is a full article. This I just printed out the part that's relative to Avondale. Okay, this is from September 7th, 1906. Two wrecks which occurred on the Western Maryland Railroad Saturday afternoon between 4 and 6 o'clock caused the entire disarrangement of the schedule for the trains on the railroad and the holding up of a passenger train and of the Penmar Express at a point above Westminster for an hour. Another passenger train near Glyndon was also held for a considerable time. No trains, either freight or passenger, arrived at Helen Station over the main line after 4.55, and the first train to come in after that time was from Gettysburg, which was due at Helen Station at 6.15 and did not arrive until 10.30. The first train to arrive in the city was at 2.30 a.m. It was not known when the wreck near Westminster would be cleared up sufficiently to permit the passage to Baltimore of the passenger train and the Penmar Express held at that point. The first wreck occurred about 4 p.m. at Avondale, a small station above Westminster, which was caused by the front trucks of a carload of ballast to jump the track and run along on the ties about 100 yards. This is from September 7th, 1871. A freight and gravel train collided on the Western Maryland Railroad on Wednesday afternoon of last week near Avondale. One engine was partially damaged. 
No one hurt the engineers and firemen saved themselves by jumping. Now, the rest of these aren't train uh, crashes, but rather deaths related to trains. So the train crashes that we found there mm-hmm. didn't produce any fatalities hmm. that we know of, but there were fatalities associated with the area. So is that an unusual number of train crashes in that amount of time for, for one area? I don't know. We're talking over the course of several decades. Yeah. I, I don't think so. You don't think so? No. So here's some, uh, the only deaths I could find relative to Avondale and the trains. This is from the 22nd of October, 1892. Again, excuse the old-timey language, not language of my choice. It's just the language of the paper at the time. A colored man by the name of Todd was struck and killed at Avondale by the train to Union Bridge, leaving here at 11.41 yesterday, Friday morning. There's one... Here's another one. This is from October 16th, 1897. George W. Robinson and wife, Mrs. Cordelia Little, and son on Sunday morning attended the funeral services of John Robinson, who was killed by a passing train at Avondale last summer. These services were conducted at the residence of the deceased's father by Reverend J. Brown, who spoke from the 17th chapter of St. Luke. So it looks like two different people were struck and killed there. And then... A horse. Was driving the train? <laughs> was struck and killed. This is January 16th, 1886. On Tuesday evening last, a valuable horse owned by Mr. William A. Shriver near this city was killed at Avondale Station by the train that passes this city at 8.20 p.m. The horse had been brought out of the stable for the purpose of being harnessed, and in playing, he broke loose from the person in charge and ran towards the station, reaching it just as the train arrived. The horse was a fine driver and a good stepper. Uh, the horrible you... tragedy of America. Can we talk yes, about? Yes, I was just going to say, why is that? The, why did the horse get the horse twice as much coverage as Todd? As Todd, that's ridiculous. Oh God! Every time we read these papers, I'm like, I just want to scream. <laughs> oh man, sorry, Todd. At least, uh... hey, we're remembering Todd today. Of course, we remember the horse as well, but we don't know the horse's name. Yeah, we don't know Todd's last name. Either, we don't know Todd's last name. You could probably find him. Just Todd? Yeah, look up death certificates from that time. On that day? Well, who knows if Todd got a death certificate. I'll look up the horse. He probably got one. (laughs) Well, he was a fine driver and a good stepper. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's... It uh, it almost talks about, like, what college he went to, the horse. horse. (laughs) (laughs) He was a member in good standing of the local... Poor Todd just got killed. Yeah, it's so... History's so horrible. Now, there's one more article I found that has not to do with trains. I like that. But it's a cool bit of folklore I dug up about Avondale that predates... Trains? And Lee Master, the ghost we went there to see. This is from August 15th, 1903. Again, it was in the Democratic Advocate, Westminster, Maryland. It's called The Boiling Pool. This was actually written by Marie Shriver. Didn't it say the the guy who lost his horse was named Shriver? Mm Mm-hmm. Is William Shriver. So, in the western part of Maryland, there is a long, narrow valley enclosed not by mountains but by high hills. In the eastern end of this valley, they are higher and steeper, look like small mountains, and the valley scarcely more than a few hundred feet wide, through which runs the railroad and a tiny stream. One of the knobs is called the Ivies. At the western entrance to the Ivies lies a pool of water, still and black. It is a source of great wonder to the people of the surrounding countryside. 
Nearly 200 years ago, this valley was not as it is now, cultivated and dotted here and there with farmhouses. It was covered with woods. There was not an inhabitant except a tribe of Indians who had their village in the beautiful valley, for the pale faces had not penetrated so far into the interior. The redskins roamed over these hills and the country beyond, and they never approached the dreaded pool, at the entrance of which is now known as the beautiful Avondale Valley. For then the waters of the pool were not as they are now, still in black, but as wild as the waves of the ocean. They boiled, they hissed, they lashed the banks with a fury untold. Not a human, not an animal, dared go near the place. The savages wandered and feared and named the place Wahoan, meaning cursed. When the boiling waters sounded louder than common, one Indian said to another, The Great Spirit troubles the waters more than usual, for they thought that the Great Spirit commanded the waters to act so. But there was one in the Indian village who loved the spot, and sat within a safe distance from the waters, but she mounted a rock that she might gaze into their troubled depths. There she would remain for hours until some patriarchal chief would send her away, telling her it was wicked to watch the doings of the Great Spirit. Then she would sigh and walk slowly back to the village. She was Minota, a little Indian girl, the terror of the village. Though only a child, she could endure more pain and outstrip any of the Indian boys in a race. When she was reproved, she showed her white teeth, clenched her fists, and walked sullenly away. Long after the tribe had left their old village and found a new place far away, there came one day a solitary Indian maiden, beautiful and graceful as a young fawn. She passed on through the old village and made her way straight onto the banks, the very banks of the terrible Wahoan. Here she paused and leaned against a tree. It was Minota, the little terror, now grown to a beautiful woman. She shook her black hair and clenched her little fists and said, as if to the waters, Ha! They thought to keep me a prisoner in that hot, stuffy tent. Me! 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 And with every repetition of the word, she buried her nails into the delicate flesh of her little brown palms. No, she continued, Of course I would not marry that horrid old chief, so old and ugly. When they told me I should have to marry him, I rebelled, and then they knew I would run away, and they shut me up. Ha! They thought I would be safe there. How easy it was. When all the braves were on the warpath, and all the old squalls were asleep around the fire, I lifted the curtain and ran softly away. How could I marry him when I love another? Ah, Idaho, Idaho. The beautiful eyes became tender, and there was a quiver around the lips, for she remembered the day Idaho had told her words that made her eyes sparkle, and then she continued, My hope is that he will seek me here. He knew how I love this place, and will think I first came here. And how grand, how noble he is. But hark, I hear a footstep. Is it Idaho? Tis getting nearer. Will he dare come so near the pool? There, oh great spirit, she exclaimed, and sank against the rocks, covering her face with her hands. For at that moment the bushes parted, and she disclosed the form, not of her lover, but of the dreaded chief. She had no time to flee. Indeed, she could not move. The chief saw her immediately, and coming towards her said in the voice of thunder, You devil! You thought to escape, did you? Now you shall go back with me, or I'll kill you. Do you hear? I'll kill you here. Minota did hear, but she had recovered herself, and showed not an atom of fear, and her voice did not tremble, and she answered, No, I never will be your wife, and I hate you. The old brave's face was now of an ashen hue, as he raised his axe in the air to strike her, but the blow never fell, for suddenly through the air flew an arrow, and the old chief fell, pierced through the heart. Down he fell, down into the boiling abyss below, and bounding down the bank came a brown form, and Minota found herself clasped to the breast of her lover. Suddenly they became aware that the waters were still, and peering into their depths, they saw it to be as still and black as at present. Hark, said Idaho, and through the trees above there came a moan, and these words came distinctly to their ears. The goddess of the pool will reward you by giving her a victim, 
for thus only she could be released from a cruel spell under which she had been placed for hundreds of years. Go and live in peace and plenty, and the voice died away in a sweet strain of music. Thus it was that the pool of water at the entrance to the ivies became still and black. So Go does ahead. that place still exist? I don't know. We're trying to kind of figure out where that is. And I have to apologize for the, the language in that article, too. It's just, they just were not politically correct back then. Really? So when I asked you for the photo of the week this week, I said, mm-hmm. Allison, do you have any train crashes? And Allison says, hold my beer. <laughs> Without missing a beat, she says, yes, I have a train crash. So it's a train derailment. What year would you guess that is? Hmm, I would Roughly. S- I would say that is 20s or 30s. And you can see the derailed train behind five men, smartly dressed. It's a small photo. It is about four and three quarters by three inches. As with every photo of the week, I'll put it up in the show notes, a photo of it, and then you can click on that and it will go to our Etsy store where you can purchase it, support the podcast, get a cool picture besides. What price are we putting on that? I'd say $12. $12. $12 gets you a train wreck. $12 for the derailed train photograph. You can't even get a train ticket for that anymore. No, you can't. So uh, instead of doing a super long episode for 150 I thought... Mm-hmm. I might try to get two episodes out this week. We'll see. I'll do my best. That's two episodes for everyone. Mm-hmm. Patrons already got an episode for March. We, we may or may not be doing two patron episodes in March. So we will be back soon with more Strange Familiars. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts, music, books, art, podcasts, and more. DarkHollerArts.com Intro and background music is by Stonebreath. Go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com for more. We are on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars. And we are on Instagram, at strangefamiliars. What, no friendster?
upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.